All right, everybody, welcome back to the Davis Fitness Method podcast. This time I'm joined by none other than Kyle Baxter. Uh, Baxter is single-handedly um, making Instagram content great again. <laughs> really smart man. Uh, talks pain things, talks um, talks getting stronger, bigger, everything better things. Uh, Bax, if you, for those that don't know you, could you tell them a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, formally trained as a physiotherapist. To have done pretty much everything in the fitness industry before that of strength and conditioning, managing a gym, normal PT, big box gym, PT in a small gym like yours, taught biomechanics at a college, and then went down the physio route, thought I was going to be a clinician that just saw patients all day long. And then I realized that 99% of the problems that people saw people have are the fix is quite boring. Um, so I've kind of had this niche of blending physio and resistance training and making all the boring physio things that you usually get fun. Um, so yeah, I do online, online coaching and consulting, and then I, uh, educate for prescript and much more. Dude, uh, that's, that's quite the, quite the resume there of things that you've been through. How long, how, like how long, what was the time frame there? That, that sounds like a long. Um, so out of high school, I was working as a, like I was building high rises and it was terrible. Um, so I started going, I went to this, started like college. Um, and while I was in college, I was training people kind of like mostly hockey things on the side. Um, and then my last year of college, I got an internship at this strength and conditioning slash like boutique PT gym. So I did that, graduated, got a job teaching biomechanics at the same place that I went to school. So I did that simultaneously, uh, burnt out like crazy. I helped like manage that gym, burnt out like crazy, quit everything and was like, okay, what am I going to do? And then I went to a big box PT gym. So I guess that would be, some people would think that's like a regression. Um, and that taught me a lot about business and I built a new business from there. And then I realized that I couldn't be providing a service is not sustainable long-term when my goals are to have a family. So eventually I need to have either a very high level service where I get a lot of money or I run a business like you do where like you're involved, but then like there's still some money being made when you're not there. Um, so I decided to go to physio school and that happened in the UK. So I went to the UK and that's when I started my online thing. And then I just continued that into online consulting, met, uh, the prescript crew during COVID. Um, and then kind of went from there and now I'm living in Thailand and we're have a bunch of projects in the works, me and this other guy and working for Prescript as well and do my own thing. And that's where we are. That's awesome. so probably like, uh, it's like a 10 year, 10 year plan. Yeah. 
You mentioned that most of the fixes in physical therapy are boring. Um, does this mean that you see trends in the things that you find or are most people kind of suffering from a, a similar thing just in different ways? Yeah, most people are suffering from a similar thing. Just the presentation is different. Um, so the variables that we have to manage on a daily basis is pretty much whatever tasks that we complete and managing gravity. AKA if we didn't manage gravity, we would just be a blob on the floor. So we have a, a certain amount of muscle tone or contractility to all of our muscles 24 seven, or we would be a blob on the floor. And if we don't practice changing those orientations of those muscles, don't practice different things, we end up not being able to change positions. And then that eventually leads to all of our, all of our bones and joints kind of moving as one instead of being able to dissociate. So basically we don't move around enough. We sit too much and most people suck at breathing as well. If we just, if we just did different things all the time, most things would be fine. Um, and then with the, with the physio model, it's very like find the cause instead of find the reason for the cause, right? So it's like, which, as soon as we, the first thing they teach us is like, figure out which structure is damaged. It's like, okay, we should understand pain. We don't need a structure to be damaged, to feel pain. Pain is just an output. So that kind of like, the model didn't resonate with me in school. So I just started looking elsewhere for things. Uh, lucky it was locked down that I could just sit in my room for 10 hours a day and figure out how the body actually works. But basically the trends that I see is like, we don't move around enough. We can't manage gravity. And then like our lifestyle factors are also usually terrible. Yeah, for something that I will look at. For somebody with like a limited understanding of managing gravity, they're like, I, what are you talking about, dude? I walk around and I, I don't fall over. What do you mean I'm not managing gravity? Yeah, so how we walk around matters. So basically we have almost like a, like a walking debt. If we walked like 20,000 steps a day from like the time we were a child, probably fine. Um, if we didn't walk around on concrete all the time, probably fine. But because of our lifestyle, we have this like walking, walking debt, if you will, where we just don't move around as much. Um, and then we start to move in these certain, your, our nervous system and brain start to move in these certain ways. And then eventually these certain ways might put stress across actual tissue. Uh, you've heard of like wear and tear of the knee, right? The knee, it's not really wear and tear. It's just like we have focal pressure somewhere for a prolonged period of time, right? If someone gets a bunion, these are examples of kind of things that we are moving, but we're moving in a way that doesn't put, doesn't dissipate the stress and forces of gravity and the world and gravity plus weights in the gym and all of that other stuff. So basically we, you can, there's a difference between doing a task and the way we do a task. And I think that's the differentiating factor that 
is more important, especially with like something like resistance training or physio, you can do three sets of 10, but the way you do three sets of 10 is more important than you doing three sets of 10. Just like, just like physio and walking in any task. It's like, if we're trying to make a change, it's not just like, oh, I did my physio exercises. It's, it's like, no, no, no. How, if you do these exercises right, you should be able to make the change extremely expediently because we're not actually changing tissue for the most part. We're just changing the nervous system and the nervous system changes extremely fast. Right. Cause even in the course that, um, I'm you're I'm taking of yours right now, something as simple as flexing the knee isn't as simple as flexing the knee. It's like understanding that there's a degree of tibial rotation as that occurs. And it's like, so you might watch two people bend their leg and both legs bent, but they didn't bend the same. And those have implications. Exactly. So like understanding for a nor normal person, a NARP, if you will, um, and being able to understand those things as a trainer to then you tell the normal person the action item is the most important thing. Uh, like, a, like a person doesn't need to know that like the knee is technically not a hinge. Bones don't technically touch together. If they did, there was friction. They can just say, hey, it's a hinge. And then you can say, hey, put a little more pressure on your heel. And then they'll be like, oh, my knee feels better. Um, but yeah, like understanding, understanding the nuances of how the body works as a trainer or clinician or whatever we are that we're working with someone else just allows us to make more expedient decisions in terms of understanding what we're actually looking at, which is basically what my course is about. I looked at like, okay, what are the problems that we, what are the problems that we have as coaches? And I came to the conclusion that most people saw the, the prescription of things. It's understanding what we're looking at to give an appropriate prescription. Because none, none of the exercises we're doing are bad. Yeah. Just the, the placement of them. Because like people will come to me from, I'm the guy who like usually people go to a bunch of physios and then they're like, okay, we'll go to this crazy online guy to get fixed up because nothing else works. And all of the other prescriptions that they've give, been given with their rationale are completely correct in my mind. But the the thought process behind the rationale was missing these important parts that people should know. And that's where the disconnect is of like, we just have no, idea. we see a knee bend, but like, what does a knee bend? Could you give a more specific example? Um, yeah. So someone comes in with shoulder pain. Um, they will be, They'll do manual muscle testing, which is basically like an isometric. So you'll put your arm by your side, you'll put your arm up and they'll press on your arm into internal and external rotation. And they'll say, ah, it's weak here. And then they will give you, they will conclude that I'm kind of stereotyping normal physios, but like, this is what I learned in school and I paid a lot of money so I can like stereotype. Um, they'll conclude that rotator cuff weakness is the source of the pain. Okay, so we we go one step further and ask, why is the rotator cuff presenting as weak? Okay, if we have a very lengthened muscle, we know that it 
produces less force. If we have a muscle that's already contracted, concentric, short, if you will, we can't shorten it anymore. It's going to be bad at producing force via active insufficiency. So now I have two scenarios in which this muscle might not actually be weak, but it might be in a position where it can't produce force. So then we look at, okay, where does this muscle connect to the scap and the rib cage? And it's like, okay, your rib cage is a certain presentation, which means your scap can't move, which means your humerus can't move, which means your rotator posterior, rotator cuff muscles can't actually exhibit the force that they need in that instance. They, they have the ability to, so it's not a strength problem, right? If we had a rib cage that moved and a scap that moved and a humerus that had full range of motion, and then we had a strength problem, it's like, okay, that's probably a strength problem, right? So just because something presents in one way doesn't mean that we should just jump to conclusions of like, this is how things are. Uh, so the banded external rotation on the for the rotator cuff strengthening is maybe just jamming a muscle into an orientation in which it's already in. But if we can move the ribs and move the scap around, we can technically give that person the ability to produce force back and they will present different and they may have less pain probably with a deeper kind of dive into it, right? But hey, rotator cuff presents it. You can't push into my hand. Rotator cuff presents as weak. Therefore, strength. That makes that is a logical thought process. It's just like a one piece of the puzzle. One like we need to look at the entire puzzle to see what's what's really going on. Right. That sounds like um like basically after the one lecture I made a one about the banded clamshell, where you're saying people already have this externally rotated hip, so it would present in a short position. It makes sense yeah. that it would be weak in that position given the fact that it's already short. So giving somebody with sciatic pain banded clamshells because their glutes seem to be weak or their glute need seems to be weak given yeah. one test or one specific isometric test. Normally that what that's like that side lying one on the table where they bring your thigh up and then they try to push yeah. against it and your leg just goes straight down or something. So that's that's the one that I was like, oh, like that clicked for me yeah because it's like everything the one that gets me is like i work with a lot of like bodybuilders and powerlifters yeah and there'll be guys who like squat 600 pounds they go to the physio and be like your glute meat is weak and i'm like can we please just like think about this the guy squats 600 pounds there's nothing about him that's weak right but everything is a task and the task of lying on a table and abducting we're just already jammed in a certain range so obviously i'm going to present this week right so that's kind of what where i i guess differ from a lot of physios uh where like i just one i just selfishly i just want to solve problems right like i i can say like hey i want to be a physio because like i want to help people and i think like, i do but like selfishly, if I wasn't intellectually stimulated and was able to solve problems every day, I would be extremely bored. Yeah. So, so in order for me to keep helping people, I need to be stimulated. And that is why kind of like I did, I am who I am. How much, how much of what you do 
like because I, I see you train like a lot of different bodybuilder guys and i'm i'm sure that all around like all around maybe they're not in pain in every position but maybe there's things that keeping them from going to another level in their sport how how do they how do they know that like Bax is going to take me there because like a lot of the times you know in these like arenas a lot of guys tend to be like at least with the guys that are probably less veterans than the serious bodybuilders they'll be like well this guy isn't bigger than me or this guy doesn't coach guys bigger than me then yeah I actually get that uh like I get a lot of hate on Instagram because I like talk about some hypertrophy things because like that's like what my clientele is yeah uh those guys are all giants but like and i work with like a lot of bodybuilders it's really just like for me it was like referrals of like this guy go to this guy like i helped one guy and then it's like go to this guy he's the guy and then it kept going there and like from the outside no one really knows no one knows my story right like i in the UK, I pretty much, they thought I had cancer because I had cancer symptoms. And I was like, my hormones were fringed for two entire years. And I was like losing weight on 4,000 calories, having night sweats every day. So like, even without exogenous hormones, which I still have not on, like I'm going to look a certain way because of my health complications. But like, no one knows that. They just see like, this guy's small. He's telling me how to do a bicep curl, right? Which is like, Yes, to an extent, like there, you have to practice what you preach and like get, like show people evidence that you can do what you do. But for most things, like I'm coming from a, I'm coming from a physio lens more than I'm coming from like a bodybuilding lens. Right. Right. I just say like, I come from the lens of like, if you're out of pain, you can push harder in the gym and then you'll get bigger. Like, okay, that makes sense. Right. I don't say like, this is how I can get bigger in the gym. Like right, I say yeah. that indirectly, but right. um, but yeah, most of it is like I got a ton of hate online because they're like, this guy's small. He talks about complicated concepts, and I was like, that <laughs> solving complicated. I'm solving complicated problems that no one else can solve. Sorry, yeah. uh, but there are a lot of people who don't need my help, and they have simple problems. And simple people who shit on me on the internet can probably solve them, and that's that's good. There's a reason I don't do like like fat loss anymore. And I think like. There's one, there's infinite amount of coaches who do fat loss and they do a very good job. And for 96% of fat loss clients, like it's things are a little bit pretty straightforward, right? Obviously like behavioral change and lifestyle and psychology are the main things with that. It's like the science behind fat loss is very simple, but like I don't do fat loss anymore because there's a lot of people who already do that. And it's like gets... It's boring, more well, it's more boring to me. Right. Uh, so yeah, like I need to be complicated because the problems I solve are complicated. Right. If the problems I solve were simple, my content would be simple. But people don't see that; they just see like, oh, I'm hanging out with these bodybuilders. I must be like some bodybuilder guy. I'm like, right. no, 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 like these are also complicated things. But the more complicated you make it, the better understanding you have, and the better understanding you have, the more of like the one percent that you can milk out of things yeah and you i, I mean we're just you might you might not think of yourself 
as a big dude, I think you're pretty buff. But um, the fact that like you're not on a copious amount of hormones to get to your size is also like that's a tell in and of itself. I've just been doing the, the same thing. I've actually like made the most progress I've made in my almost entire life in the last like 12 or 14 weeks because like my my hormone panel almost looks normal for the first time in four years before it was like I was I went to like three or four of like the biggest specialists in blood work on the internet uh, and they all said which crazy cycle did you just run and I said nothing I've never run any cycle and they're like oh my god you should get a bunch more tests so it's like I've just been consistently doing the same thing for a long time and now it's finally like my physiology is catching up to my habits that's wild but yeah yeah dude um with the with the clients who are coming to you in pain is there ever a time where you're actually like not sure what to do with the person um there was one guy and i was kind of sure what to do with them um but it just like we could make changes on the call like if i had him on a call i could cue him through things and we could make changes and we could reduce symptoms but then like the symptoms weren't sticking um and he was getting very like upset and like demotivated and stuff so i actually um actually passed him off to i was like hey man do you know what we might need like we might need a change of like a change of coach or like a change of perspective like i know this guy and i passed him off to like one of my buddies uh from london who's an osteopath who would like he's not a normal osteopath he's like a used to work at ultimate performance and is a boss osteopath so that was pretty much the one person where like i it couldn't it didn't work but in theory i knew what to do but also like theory and practice are two different things yeah so like that would be one recent one but like most things are like very very apparent right away yeah is there like, sorry is there anybody like is it is it ever like purely mental thing or is it or is it that somebody hasn't found the right solutions to the problems to help this person it's can be purely mental but there's always a physical component that we can bring a light to i had one case actually it was a kid she was 16 years old and she was like soccer's all-star like gonna play for women's team canada played for like women's white caps it's like mls i know my european listeners will laugh at mls um but she was like had four high scholarships to like every place in the states and she's been to like every sports med doctor you could think of, like all of the best people where I used to live. And I gave her every single, everything I gave her, she's like, I've already done this. And I'm like, okay. And she had just excruciating knee pain all the time. Uh, but when she wasn't thinking about it, she didn't have knee pain. 
because she's had knee pain and she had all these people tell her that she had pain for so long. So I love he like tricked her into going into deep knee flash. I just said like, oh, we're going to do this. And then we did it. And then I would like bring light to the fact that she was in deep knee flash without pain. Um, and her pain slowly got better. And looking back, like maybe there was a biomechanical thing that I could have, because like I was less woke about things back then. Um, but like she had seen like the names of, if I was to list like the 10 names that I would say like are the best physios in Vancouver, she had seen all everyone. And then she eventually had less and less pain. Um, so like, I think there was a lot of, a very big psychological component, right? There was a lot of like pressure on her from her parents. I don't think her parents had like a ton of money. So it was like super cool that she could get like a $90,000 US scholarship. Um, so I don't know, it's hard being a kid, but I, yeah. that's one where like, it might've been, it might've not been like a physical cause, but most of the time, if it's chronic or we have something that's like a, not a physical cause, there's a, some sort of physical thing that we can change that like helps become the catalyst of change, right? So it's like, like if I was, I come in very confident. I think that's a very good thing when you're dealing with pain, right? So if you came, if you went to a zillion practitioner and like you've had pain for so long and I was like, do you know what it is? It's the fact that you eat oatmeal. It's like, if we cut out oatmeal and we start doing these things, you're going to have less pain. But I'm like, like so adamant. And you're just like, why? You're willing to try anything because you tried everything, tried everything before. And it, I can make a rationale that makes sense in your brain. Right? It's like oatmeal has oxalates or something. And then those oxalates are making you have pain. <laughs> yeah right and it's like that's if, if you make if you make sense of it in your brain and it makes sense to you it could work right like the yeah. placebo is is a really interesting thing right so how many things do you think so i'm like pain like pain is super complicated we're probably not going to untangle that whole thing in one podcast but how many things do you think you could like just confidence your way through versus they actually, we actually need to get to the root cause of this issue. It depends who the human is. I think a lot of, a lot of people who have, a lot of people, it's, it's a biomechanical thing and I call it my way through. So it's like, like the double whammy of them, them being bought in and like, I have a pretty good reputation now. So like people come to be like, oh, this is, this is, this has got to be the guy because I have no other choice. Uh, but most of the things like there's a, there is a cause that, or things that could make it better. Right. Like even if it's sleep or like nutrient deficiency or like you don't eat any fats in your diet. That's why like I don't love the, the model of, like a clinic and I'd rather work with someone one-on-one -on -one, like online coaching slash physio it's for like a prolonged period of time like the amount of people that when I was working in the UK 
that would come to me. They would drink every single night. They're severely obese. They don't really sleep. They smoke. And they obviously have a ton of stress. And they'd be like, what exercises fix my knee pain? And I was like, changing your entire life will fix your knee pain. But like, I can't say that. I just have to give them exercise. Right? So it's like, this person will never get better. Yeah. They're 350 pounds. It's like some banded knee extensions are not going to do anything. Right? So it's like, I, and I, but I, I'm not legally not allowed to address these things when I work as a physio. I worked as a physio. And I'll just say anything about that these things affect their symptoms. But now, working for myself, I can, we, it's a holistic approach of like, okay, what is your stress? What is your job? When do you wake up? When do you go to sleep? What supplements do you take? What is your diet? How is your biomechanics in the gym? Et cetera, et cetera. It's not just like zoom in on me, but then you zoom out and you have a 350 pound person. So that's like, if you're about the question, if you yeah, if you were gonna fix like I don't know if you're gonna fix the system in one way, would it be that you'd make one clinician more qualified, or you'd put them more in a community where you had qualified individuals in one network? I would go back and fix the system before there's even a problem. Right. You would just learn about all of these things in school. Like you could learn that school is a social thing, right? For the people who actually care about school and actually try, you could get all the actual knowledge you need in like, or like primary school could be condensed into like three years and secondary school can be condensed into like two or three years, right? Which means it leaves all that time for them to learn about actual life skills. Hey, what are hormones? Hey, this is how you read a blood test. This is how you go shopping at the store. These are what macro and micronutrients are. This is how sleep works. And we would just make humans that know how to, if you're extremely knowledgeable about something, you're less likely to indulge in things that are quote unquote bad for your health. Right? So even if you, if you drink alcohol and smoke weed every day, regardless of if you know the physiology or not, doing crystal meth or cocaine you have in your head is like worse for most people. Right? Like, even if you don't know the physiology. Not in Seattle. Right? So, so like, <laughs> see you, I guess it's different in the States. But like, <laughs> if you were to learn about like, this is what this does to you. This is how it's going to affect your health. Like you would be in the know enough to make better decisions long-term. And I think like educating people when they're in the prime of their, their knowledge acquisition and their habit formation is would just all of most of the problems are just go away. Like I can teach one, you can teach one class into grade, grade 12. Do you go to grade 12? To grade 12. Yep. I could teach one class and it would teach them how to not need a physio for 99% of it. Mm. And I could teach every. What would the syllabus look like in that class? They would have to have, because they would take bio and anatomy before, they would take chemistry before, they would take physics before. 
So all the principles that underline the body, they already understand. And then I just apply those to exercise and like lifestyle. And then they, they understand like how the nervous system works and how to modulate the nervous system and what pain is and how to move and how to, how joints work, how muscle contracts and heals when it's damaged and how tendons heal when it's damaged and all of the things that a physio would do. You can teach you a grade 12 in one year. How, how, how is it you feel like we got to the space where there's so much confusion around what things actually are or do? Because like you make it sound so simple, but on the internet, I still hear people saying foam rollers break up scar tissue. And then you see people, you know, who are qualified trainers that then are, are being taught different things in their courses regarding movement and I even went to a course probably four years back where they're like you know don't let your knees go over your toe in a squat they taught me that at physio school I argued with my professor I was like what is wrong with that so your knees go over your toe every time you walk upstairs am I supposed to tell my patients not to walk upstairs um, I think it's just, it takes, a, it takes time to, so for the, for the system, everything is based on research and research is very isolated. So everything that I say is based in research, but you won't find the specific words and way I put it together in research, right? So it's like, this principle and this principle and this principle and these studies say this, therefore this and this says this. So I draw this conclusion and then people are like, oh, that makes sense, right? But no one's ever in research. It doesn't, it just shows an isolated scenario. And then like people don't infer things, but it's hard because they're fighting an uphill battle. So with physio school, imagine if I was like, come to my physio school, pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, we're going to teach you how to be the best physio, but our curriculum, it's like, you won't find exact things in research. Right? That might deter people because people think research is like everything. Right. right. So they'll never do that. So the things being taught will always be so simplistic. Right. When I say things and then my professor says like, where, where is research to support that? And I say, here's these 17 articles. And then I put them together and actually have a brain between my ears this is why i think this right they're like oh it doesn't it doesn't say that right yes it does just like all everything is parts yeah. and no one puts together the parts and then with like trainers and stuff it's like we want to this is why like i was drawn to pre-script because it doesn't really it doesn't pre-script doesn't necessarily teach you what to do it just teaches you how to think yeah uh, even my course we're in week six and i haven't really said I haven't really given you any specific exercises to do. You just have a very deep understanding of what's going on and you can actually know what you're looking at. So then you can use the principles to think and make decisions. Right. So I think like the background knowledge that is required to do that and understand a complex view of something, it takes time. 
And in training, people want to skip the line. I want, I want to skip the line. Same with you when you started. What did you want? Just a bunch of clients. Right? You didn't. And if you had a solution to something or a, re, or a rationale for using something that made sense in your mind, why would you go searching for another rationale? It, it's kind of like human human nature. Like, it's not, bro, don't fix it. Right? If you if you were like, scarred, foam roller breaks up scar tissue, releases the IT band. And then what? how does that get reinforced? You give your client a foam roller and they foam roll their vastus lateralis and they're like, wow, my IT band feels so much better. And then that just solidifies that in your brain of like, I'm breaking up scar tissue left and right here. I'm going to keep doing it. And like, it's not wrong and it's not their, it's not anyone's fault. It's just like that explanation is very simple and it may be incorrect scientifically, but the action item is the same. And, but the time that it would take to be like, Hey, this is how mechanoreceptors work. These are the nerve fibers. These are how fast they go. This is how they interact in your brain. This is the descending tracks that carry the signal down to the muscle to have less rest and tone so that you can have more range of motion so that your IT bank can feel better. That's a complicated thing that takes a long time to understand. I think it's super cool, but a lot of people are like, if I can just put this my client on the phone roller, why do I need to? But they don't know that they don't know. Yeah. Have you ever seen, so in, there's the, what, National Academy of Sports Medicine, which is in yeah. the U.S., there's the uh, presentation or the problem, right? Uh, and then there's the corrective exercise list. Oh, dude, we used to, so I worked at this place that I worked at. It was like the the place to go in the North Shore for like strength and conditioning and like personal training. And during our assessment, on the, on the painted up, printed on the back of the assessment was that sheet. And we do an overhead squat assessment and we do a step up and then we'd say, ah, knee collapses in. What's the problem? What's the corrective exercise? Put a band on it. <laughs> and like, it's funny because we, a lot of those things work, but just not in the way that we, the reason we think. And it's, it's fine to like, like why would I shit on someone who's doing something that works? Yeah. Well, this, I think the thing is, is like, it, it ends up working, but it's like the inappropriate mechanism. So if somebody tries to recreate that in a different way, they won't get the same result. I think that's the problem. Oh, I think the problem is not asking questions when that happens. Right. right? If I banded everyone's knees for my entire life and they got sick results, if someone is, some people are still doing that and getting sick results, like good on them, 100%. Right. Right, but that one person where you ban their knees and it doesn't work, that's when you need to ask questions and be like, oh my God, what's happening? Right. Well, sometimes like uh, in like physio, like in the world of physios, they'll fucking shotgun blast you with 10 exercises and one of these will surely work, but it's not for the same mechanism, right? Because like yeah. if I'm doing a lateral step down for my glute med versus I'm doing a banded clamshell for my glute med, those don't have the same effect. I mean, they they train similar muscle groups, but they're not necessarily training the same thing. 
Yeah, and this is what you'll come. Every trainer will come to this point in their career, hopefully, or fi hopefully physio will come to this point in their career where you have enough people to train, and you can get your clients results. So the only way to get more more money and more result and being more valuable is to either A, become a business owner and hire people, or B, solve the same problems faster. Right? So now, and that's like what I've built my niche on, of like, I solve the same problems that a physio solved, solve the same problems a trainer solved. I just solve them in a quarter of the time. Right? So now, instead of giving you 10 exercises, shot and blasting you, I'm saying just do these two exercises. Do this one and then this one. And then go do this. And now it saves the client time, saves me time because I don't have to have a follow-up and then be like, okay, which exercises felt good? Which exercises felt bad? Okay, like let's see all 10. All right, so it just allows you to be more expedient. Right, it's the same with training. The better you get at training, for like hypertrophy, say, the less sets you need because you're more accurate at giving a stimulus to the muscle. So yeah, exactly. I think that that was yeah, one thing. Expedient. Yeah, that was one thing that I like. Honestly, I mean, still to this day, a little bit. It makes complete sense to me, but the bro in me won't accept your one or two sets of uh, exercises during training just because, like, I don't know, like however many I've done, five or four or three, three forever, right? But it makes total sense when done. And as you as you get more skilled in your execution and consistent in your execution, it's like I could see how one set would be enough. Like you, I'm assuming you ramp up and then do your one. You don't just jump in on a cold one. Yeah, of course. Right. So like some, some like a training client might count those sets leading up to that one working set sets and they might log them as sets but in your mind the one that you're like this one counts is that hard one yeah and with the training client right like they're less accurate right, right? so to get the same stimulus that i get in one set they might need three sets right. and then as they get more accurate so i had this had this client, he was in a bunch of pain and we, he had a bunch of volume at the start and like, he's gotten better and better and better and better and better. And he's like in no pain now. And now he does like with less volume than I do. And he's like, if I do more, I can't recover. And he's like, just getting massive off like the ridic a ridiculously small amount of volume. Cause he just got more and more and more accurate. Yeah. It's also like a genetic freak in terms of strength. But like, so with a client. There's no, it's when the, like the hypertrophy space, it's a lot of yelling at each other in the internet. Yeah. Um, and I don't think anyone's right or wrong. Right? I don't think any way is right or better, right? Because if you were to give your client, if you're a brand new client, five sets a week in chess, their chess will not grow. They're not accurate at all. Right? So you might need like an, R, an RIR model where you do more volume. Right. Have you have you seen like the stuff from like RP or like, or like uh, Mike Isretel? So there's like yeah. 
minimum effective volume and maximum recoverable volume, but they'll make suggestions from as low as 10 sets per muscle group per week to up to 20. But like, it's kind of inverse of what you're saying, right? Where theirs is more like the more trained you become, the more of that stimulus you need. Whereas in the beginning, you would need less. But you're saying as you become more well-trained and able to put tension on the muscles better, which again, makes sense that you would need less because it's almost like if this 20 pound dumbbell can elicit a certain amount of tension on here, the higher percentage of that tension I can get on my muscle, the less of it I need versus if I'm, if I suck at this, I'm already getting a smaller percentage of this. So I need more of it to get the same or equal like stimulus. Exactly. Right. Like I, I speak about hypertrophy, like playing darts, right? I need to get to 180. If I am very accurate, it takes me three darts, right? Triple 20, 180, all the UK guys drinking beer so crazy, right? <laughs> Me personally playing darts to get to 180, I'd be throwing darts all day long, right? And those dart, the less darts you've used, that's your recovery. But so the more accurate you are, you only need to get to a certain amount, right? Because what happens when you go over doesn't count. If you know the real darts, right? You have to end exactly on what you need to end on, right? So that's kind of how I how I view hypertrophy is like, you need to get to a certain amount of stimulus to grow. Obviously that changes depending on circumstances, but the less accurate you are, you're, when you start, you're less accurate. So you just need more volume, right. right? And you can, if you don't refine technique and you train a little bit farther from failure, you will always need more volume, right? If you're, if you never refine your technique and you can't put tension across the actual muscles and you're chasing different things during a set, you will always need a lot of volume and that's fine. And you might always need a deload every five weeks. Do you think that people that do that will encounter more, um, like, like misapplied like force or, um, what would maybe be like issues in their training would be it like pain in their elbow or their knee or something like that or is that not a guarantee given just like they're doing more and more volume because the only thing i'm noticing is like i get guys and um, it's not until they're strong enough to hurt themselves that they hurt themselves if that makes sense they're doing the same thing the whole time but it's like now you're just able to handle enough load where it's a problem See, I think it's not a load problem, but we think it's a load problem. It's a, this is, it's like creeping obesity, right? It's a creeping pain. It's like, we're slowly losing access to range of motion. We're slowly moving in a worse and worse way, but we don't understand that. And then we are getting, but we're moving more weight. So we think we're getting stronger, but we're actually just changing the technique. We are getting stronger probably. And then the person gets stronger. And then we're like, oh, they hurt themselves because they're strong. It's like, no, no, no. They hurt themselves because they've been lifting like shit for six months or a year. But that incident of pain, because we don't understand what pain really is, we think 
oh, I I don't know what happened. I just took the dumbbell off the rack and my back hurts. Maybe my back is too weak. It's like, dude, no. Like, right. So I think that's what it, it's like they just don't have a prolonged exposure to these things for long enough. And then like when they get strong, they hurt themselves. And then it's like they hurt themselves with a shot, but it's really like, no, no, you're going towards hurting yourself the entire time. Yeah. Like I think so. Like the first time I had injured myself, and I, I'll find a way to bring this up probably in every podcast, but um, I'd been training pretty much in bodybuilding my entire lifting career up to that point. I decided to go on what we could say is my first dedicated strength block where it was like purely powerlifting. And like, I was like, I'm getting stronger faster. Cause like I'd never really touched these ranges or at these intensities. And then I like almost out of nowhere, like started developing like back pain, like woke up in the morning and it was like down to the bottoms of my feet, like nerve pain from my low back into the bottom of my feet. And it wasn't like I had a bad lift or anything like that, but like couldn't bend over, you know, couldn't, I had to like lunge down. Like I couldn't like bend over to pick up a plate. Um, and so I don't think it was necessarily the uh um, the loads per se obviously my technique had changed to probably leverage those weights because i was strong enough to lift them already the positions were probably shit yeah the thing with powerlifting that people don't understand is it puts you in a position that li- will limit your range of motion because you need to lift a lot of low, which makes sense. But the most important part of powerlifting is doing things that aren't on a barbell with your feet not both stuck to the ground, right? So we just lose more and more and more range at the hips and pelvis, and then maybe we move more or put more pressure through the spine. But like we never do those things to reinstate the range of motion and the positions that powerlifting inevitably, te- inevitably take away to produce force. And I think that's that's the long-term play with like powerlifting programming. And that's what usually happens to most people, including probably yourself. You're like, you're like, strength block. Do you know what that means? Dumbbells out. Barbell in. Barbell all the time. And then we never do anything that like gets us into a deep stretch because we don't do dumbbells. Right? We never do anything that shifts us into our hit. We never do lunges. It's just like, Especially like hardcore powerlifting, it's like squat variation, secondary squat variation, some sort of safety bar good morning thing. And like everything is just a barbell. Uh, so I think that's kind of what what the straw that breaks the camel's back is like just not. Do you think those are things that should never come out of your program or you think those are things that yeah. need to be right? Ra- okay. So every single client, as fast as I can possibly get them, We'll be doing dips and pull-ups and or maybe like a cable thing if they're really like hypertrophy. Um, dips and pull-ups and a lunge variation will be on every single lower body day that I ever program, even if it's just a warm-up. Okay, is that but because like, they just get the full excursion of the shoulders and the hips? Yes. If you don't, if you use it, you don't lose it. But we have to get it first. 
right? And then once you get it, it's like, I don't think about any of these things in my own program because my programming is now in a place where I understand I need to get my arm behind my back. Right. Right. It's like, oh, I haven't got my arm behind my back or off my head. And it's like the end of my upper body day while doing overhead cable extensions and incline curls. Now, if you don't have access to those positions, like when I say you don't have access, I mean like active control in those range, ranges of motion. Um, I do see like, you know, there's people who have gone through um, certain courses and there are certain exercises that are popular. So you see people trying to do high cable bicep curl, but this person didn't have active shoulder flexion with the ability to maintain a neutral rib cage over their pelvis and uh, external rotation at the shoulder, at the humerus and maintain that in that high cable bicep position. But they're like, yeah, but I heard this was a good one. Um, what, what's the best way up? Right. So this is when, this is what I, the start of the conversation. People just don't understand what they're looking at. Yeah. Right. So it's like, it's a good exercise if you do it right. So it's like, all right, I can't get my, can't get my arm behind my back. I can't get my arm over my head. In order to make active range better, we should stay within one's active range. Right. So zero to 30 degrees. Right. Okay. What exercises are in zero to 30 degrees? Shoulder flexion. Tricep pushdown, low cable curl, perfect. And that will get them out of their existing positions. Like that'll expand their range. If you cue it properly, right? So I'm not going to do super heavy loads. I'm doing 12 to 15. I'm going to say, hey, when you're in your curl, this is only audio, but I'm going to show you in the video. When you're in your curl, don't just grab the bar, reach forward. So you're dissociating your scap and your ribcage. Now keep that reach forward. It's going to help you externally rotate, which is going to help you feel your bicep. Oh wow, more bicep. Sorry, you're retracting. Yeah. Okay. A little bit. So you're reaching forward. You're not reaching your ribcage forward, but you're dissociating your scat and your spine. And then you curl there, and that's going to give you a little bit of movement of the scap. That movement of the scap is the movement of the scap you don't have to upwardly rotate. Right. And then it's like, okay, now I have mid range. What do I do in mid range? Maybe I do a skull crusher. Now it's, I get some dogs, right? But I drive my elbows up yeah. and I make sure I keep my sternum up. Now I'm doing a skull crusher. Maybe I do alternating. So like loose pressures around a little bit different. Right. Then I go, then I, that gives me range to go a little bit higher. And you do the same things with the dip? A little bit higher. Same thing at the hip. Right. Usually the hip, I'll try to get there faster. Um, so like the warmups will give you the range that we need or the exercise order will give us the range that we need. Right. So it'll be like, uh, I call it the pump sandwich for glutes. Right. So you'll do warm up things to open your hips up. You'll do one set of adductor machine or COVID egg if you have it to open your hips up. You'll do a hip thrust. Uh, usually with a reverse ramp. So the ramp is under your forefoot so you can push into it. With that hip thrust, we're making sure we have foot pressure. We're in very short range of hip flexion. Then we go to an RDL. Then we go to a Bulgarian. Short and mid-range lengthened. Progressing in range of motion. You get a crazy glue pump. Your client grows loose and they're happy. You 
basically tricked them into making their rate better. You've done no boring physio things, and everyone's happy. Dude, Bex, um, I feel like I could do this for a while, and I feel like you could too, uh, but I think right here is going to be a good place for us to end, and if uh, if I get the opportunity to have you back on in the future, I'd, I'd love to have you back on. But for now, for people who want to learn more about you and, you know, where can they find you? Yeah, pretty much do everything through Instagram. Um, Coach Baxter, B-A-X-T-E-R, on Instagram. Um, I'm sure you'll link it in the show notes. Um, yeah, if you have any questions, send me a DM. If you want to get involved in coaching or prescript or the coach courses that I teach, send me a DM so we can chat about it. Um, pretty much do everything through Instagram. Awesome. And for those of you that enjoyed the episode, be sure to like the episode, leave us a review, and uh, share it with a friend. We, uh, we need more people in less pain, and this is your way of doing that. So thank you again, Bax, for being on. Thank you.